0: share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry, and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations, both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn.
1: So today we have the honor to interview again a group of sports performance experts. So first we have uh, Alexi Pianozi, uh, the strength and conditioning coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, the top NHL team. So welcome back, Alexi.
2: Thanks, thanks for having me, Julian. Great. Uh,
1: and then we have uh, Pierre Bayeux, an experienced high-performance director and FIFA expert. So welcome back, uh, Pierre, as well.
3: Hey, welcome. Hey, hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. No problem. So,
1: And then we have Adam uh, Quigley, an experienced elite trainer in the MLS. Uh, he has worked for various uh, US soccer national teams. So welcome back, Adam.
4: Yeah, thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation.
1: Great, thank you, Adam. And then we have uh, Karam, and I'm Danny, the, Head, the Therapist at CF Montreal, a top MLS team. So welcome back, uh, Karam, as well. Thank you. Hi guys. Thank you for having me. Great. Uh, hey guys. So what I wanted to talk to you about today was first, uh, we'll discuss the muscle injuries and the nutritional strategies, as well as correlation between athletic athletes dehydration and soft tissue injuries. And then I'd love to get your thoughts on the best strategies for sleep management and also uh, we'll discuss the best strategies for athletes recovery and associated treatments. Uh, then we'll talk about Saudi Arabia, uh, they're making a big push in sports. And then lastly, we'll talk about Messi uh finally coming to the MLS at Inter Miami. How does it sound?
3: Good. Sounds
1: hey, great. So hey, sounds
4: cool. Well,
1: cool. uh, hey, the first topic I want to discuss today was uh muscle injuries and nutritional strategies. So Uh, It's estimated that an average of three to five million sports injuries occur in a year with the prevalence being higher during competition, about 72% uh, than during the training. And up to 80% of injuries generally affect the musculoskeletal tissue. Now, some nutritional strategies are suggested to contribute to the protection and repair of the muscle tissue. So are you guys surprised that 80% of injuries affect the musculoskeletal tissue and that nutritional strategies are recommended there. And also, uh, like I said, there's been shown that there's a correlation sometimes between dehydration of athletes and soft tissue injuries. So are you guys surprised by this? Anybody has any thoughts on that? Anybody?
3: I want to go first I mean, I can go first. Uh, so obviously yeah. there's more than one question here and more than one fact. So I haven't seen the study on the 80%, I'm a little bit surprised i think it's a little high you know but it's not yeah. shocking it's not shocking uh nutritional strategy to prevent injuries um i think we can spend a week on it so let's yeah. let's not do it let's let's you know make it keep it short uh when it comes to dehydration and muscle and, and muscle injuries i think this is pretty clear uh, i think that's the easiest one uh, that yeah. doesn't doesn't take too long to debate um mm-hmm. Obviously when you and this is why we have to define injuries as well. And I think this is going back to what I was saying first, uh, is a cramp an injury, um, you know, everything that, everything that prevents you, uh, to, uh, to perform a hundred percent in an injury, or are we talking injury, that, that our regular definition, that's something that puts you on the sideline for X amount of time, mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty sure for the 80% the cramp must be part of it. So going back to dehydration, obviously, if you're dehydrated, not a, I'm not, a, I'm not going to talk about, you know, muscle tone and reflexes, you know, yeah, muscle and joint, but the simple one is, is your blood. I mean, you know, if your blood gets thicker, you need water to make it thin to deliver nutrients mm-hmm. to the muscle, et cetera, et cetera and energy. So, um, and that's very basic, but that's common sense. Um, yeah. So I don't think, I don't think it's, uh, th- there's a debate out there that it's, there's it a straight correlation yeah. between these two. When it comes to the other ones i've been through so many nutritional strategies that i've delegated to uh, to experts mm-hmm. um but again i'm sure that we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have three or four different opinions Um uh, it used to be you know the the sa berry then it was you know the, the muscle meat to recover and then the uh body armor and then you know now it's the uh the collagen so we we can talk about this all day and i would leave I would give the microphone to my colleagues because yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what okay. they have to say on the topic. All
1: right, Thank you, Pierre. Uh, who wants to go
3: next?
2: Yeah, topic? I think it was uh, good, good good, points made by Pierre. And I think, you know, what he I talked about at the very start about, you know, defining what an injury is or defining what, you know, you know, what exactly is the threshold for dehydration, things like that. You know, generally, in my experience, when a player gets injured, you know, barring any you know traumatic event, a you know a, a really high-speed collision or something like that, there's probably a multitude of factors that go into that injury. You know, systemically, uh, you know, the, what's happened the previous days in training, previous days in competition in the National Hockey League or in the NBA. Maybe you play on back-to-back nights, which is always going to make things more difficult. So nutrition is kind of one piece in a larger puzzle, I think. And I always consider nutrition sort of contributing to the underlying physiological system that's going to help prepare the athlete. So, you know, you, you're not going to prevent an injury or fix an injury with a nutritional strategy, but Mm -hmm. you can help make the foundation a little bit stronger by appropriate and adequate nutritional practices on a regular basis. Then I think when some of those other factors come in, like Time zone changes, like back to back games, like you know, uh, changes in acute to chronic workload ratios, things like that. Hopefully, you're in a better position to to handle that. And uh, I, I think that's you know, from a, from a nutrition standpoint, um, I think that's kind of what I always target with a nutritional approach is a little bit more globally or systemically, sort of providing the underlying uh, foundation for them to perform on a daily basis. Great,
1: would well, thank yeah, great comment, Alexi. Uh, Adam or
2: Karam?
4: Go ahead. Yeah, I I think that um, going off of what Alexi said, where nutrition you know may not be able to prevent or, or stop injuries or lead to injuries, you know as as it's pretty well understood, the the two main alluding factors into having injuries would be you know fatigue and then past history of, of injury. Um, so what what I've Kind of over the past few years, been diving a bit more into is where does fatigue tie into nutrition, and how does nutrition tie into fatigue? And obviously, hydration is a is a part of that. Um, and I think in the kind of the ten thousand foot view is that we've got to include nutrition in this, right? Like if you have an injury, and then the athlete's going through a, a traditional rehabilitation process and there is no nutrition or dietetics involved, I think that's a missed opportunity for one education, for for staff, for athletes, for coaches, et cetera, the, the entire entire family involved, but also for a, a moment to build some new habits and, and build stronger habits to potentially, you know, prevent things down the road. You know, there's obviously the side of calcium and vitamin D supplementation that have been shown, you know, with stress fractures. So that would be a way of you know, ultimately preventing a type of injury. Um, but I think that having having someone in dietetics, uh, a sports dietitian at the table in these conversations to really drive home, maybe it's it's the hot topic, as Pierre said, like the acai barrier collagen or doubling protein, milligram intake, whatever it is, or gram intake, whatever it is. Um, but at least having that side of the conversation provided um, to have a structure, a system in place for, for the athlete to be in a, a peak performance environment to to heal and to rehab.
1: And would you say that the nutritional part is sometimes overlooked by the teams? They don't think it's a, a big factor? I mean, it's not a big part of the reason for injuries, but you feel like maybe sometimes teams don't really take that as seriously as they should, or maybe the players don't really want to hear about it?
4: Yeah, I, I think so. I think it goes both ways where um, shifting anyone's diet outside of injury is, is difficult. Even, you know, you have some athletes that come in and they come out of college and they're used to eating dining hall food that's prepared for them, or they go to fast food restaurants because it's easy and cheap. And then you get them into a professional sporting environment and they have to cook for themselves. Even that transition is tough. And now you want to add in generally the the nutritional uh, supplementation of real foods are like traditionally abnormal foods, you know, that you wouldn't see in on a person's normal grocery list. Uh, So then you Uh, you add in having to provide other types of nutrients that no one knows how to even prepare, you know, yeah, they'll, they'll then fall back into the uh, their general day-to-day thing. So I think it's education from both the, the athlete educating the staff of what's normal for them and having a baseline of, of maybe their nutritional intake daily, and then from the staff educating why it's important, um, why now, and then how how to actually implement things, and, and keeping up with the accountability. Yeah,
1: makes sense. Uh, Karam, what's your take on that?
4: Um,
5: just like Pierre said, if we, if we decide to dive into the topic of nutrition as it pertains to high performance, we could have a one week debate like it's it's crazy i mean the 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 things that are out there i funny anecdote i saw this video this guy he's just about he wants to eat breakfast and he's about to like cook his oats and then there's a video that pops up next to it saying oats is the worst thing to eat in the morning and then he's like okay well i'll put this away grab some eggs he's about to make himself an omelet and then another video pops up saying yeah omelet uh, sorry omelets are eggs cholesterol super high really bad for you in the morning will like uh, shoot down your testosterone levels etc etc and anyways long story short the guy ends up grabbing a like a bowl with like ice cubes in it and he's like well (laughs) everything is bad you know Mm -hmm. but i guess like for me the 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 big take-home message is um and, and injury is multifactorial. Uh, the, the reason behind that injury is multifactorial. Number one. Number two. Nutrition plays a very, um, a factor, a small factor, uh, in the multitude of factors that you have in uh, sustaining an injury and then sort of getting back to your 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 optimum health following that injury. Uh, That's from an injury standpoint. But if you're healthy and you're playing playing games uh, back to back, it's really important for you to sustain the system by feeding it the macronutrients that are needed. So really trying to keep it at at a a basic level with with these guys because let's face it, a lot of the athletes that we deal with aren't the smartest tools in the shed. So you got to kind of put it in front of them, hey, Here's the protein, drink this protein shake. Here's the fruit. Eat the fruit, you know, and and try to do it like right after the game. Because once they're out of your hands, they can do a whole bunch of things that you're not aware of, you know. So there's only so much that you can control, you know. So yeah, that's that's really my take on
3: it. You know, Julian, Julian, depending depending on what the audience is, okay. If like if we if we talk about high-level athletes. And if you dig deep, then obviously you want to be optimal nutrition. Then, mm-hmm. then it's a long conversation. Now, if we talk in general public, you know, and even you know, athletes to start with, they are not playing high level or they are yeah. taking care of themselves. It's pretty simple, you know. If you simplify it, you get all the answers. You you uh, you know um, you need your blood flow to deliver the nutrients and the oxygen, right? So if you have proper nutrients and proper blood flow, then you'll be fine. And proper nutrients is not hard to get you know if you don't want to be really really picky you get 99 of what you should, what you should get and then to, with the fatigue thing you know now dehydration and injuries well guess what if you dehydrated there's less blood flow so you don't get less oxygen so less muscle mm-hmm. tone and more exposed to injury so it's pretty simple um, so the bottom line is drink before you get thirsty uh drink plenty of fluid and then the right type of fluid and eat a well-balanced meal you'll be fine
1: okay that makes sense um hey guys the, the next topic i want to discuss uh was about sleep right sleep management right so managing athlete sleep is probably one of the most complex things to to manage i think it, it, maybe with the staff uh sometimes it's even more complex right during heavy uh, uh, travel uh, or even like war competition uh when it, you have to go overseas and there are jet lag and you're dealing with all kind of issues uh so in your opinion, right? So, what are the best strategies that you've used to manage athlete sleep? Uh, have you used maybe some red light therapy? Have you used melatonin or other things? What What have you think? What have you used that was, in your opinion, maybe the most e- efficient and effective ways to manage the sleep?
5: So, can I go first? Yeah. So, uh, having played eleven games in thirty-three days, and uh, two of which were in Vancouver, so going to, uh, crossing three time zones. Um, it's, it's very, very hard to control, um, uh, you know, sleep, um, yeah. from, from trying to ultimately change the temperature of the plane, uh, to, to drop it, to have that optimum temperature for them to sleep to melatonin to, um, I've also been using uh, tart cherry, um, for them to, to eat, um, those have been proven to help. And in my case, over the course of the 33 days, anecdotally have helped. So like, you know, the guys take the stuff, they sleep on the plane, they go home, they sleep, cause we'll have the day off the, the, the you know, the following day and they come back. where we, we will ask them, you know, questionnaires, wellness questionnaires the, the following day. And they seem to have recovered so do I have do I have objective data like a uh, aura ring data or whatnot mm-hmm. to just say yeah uh, he had a good night's sleep no but subjectively they're telling me yeah I feel better I feel like I've recovered etc cetera, etc cetera. so my main uses were tart cherry melatonin and um, I've tried to push a he light slash uh, red light yes. on them they like i told you guys before some athletes not the sharpest um mm-hmm. they they call it the lightsaber now they're like uh, playing around with it and so i'm like okay just give uh, me give back to me like no you yeah. know so but those were the main things that i play with the temperature try to push uh, cold tubs re- immediately after the game to really drop that uh, nervous system uh, down and then our cherry and melatonin what you say our
1: cherry, I didn't catch that Tart
5: Tart cherry. Tart Tart cherry. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you the, the, the thing
3: mm. right now. Nutritional strategy.
5: Okay.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Kram, anybody else? Is, in that month, Kram, did you have any feedback of people having like lucid dreams and more like, I guess it would be REM sleep, technically speaking. But I've when when I've provided, you know, tart cherry, some magnesium as well and and melatonin, I've had some athletes have some wildly like uncomfortable and, and maybe it's just simply them being dreaming, you know, when when people don't dream and that's the norm and then they start dreaming, it can be obviously a little uh uncomfortable. Um but I I I guess we'll wait until he comes back. But yeah. Uh, <clears throat> have you all had I've any had, of that ever it's
2: uh magnesium uh not yeah. with uh, melatonin but uh magnesium i have had some people comment on that and yeah. they didn't you know they weren't a huge fan of that they so were not no hmm.
1: so this is tart- okay. okay guys
2: oh
4: gummies not
1: the drink. yeah. Uh, and so,
4: well, is there is there
1: melatonin in
5: there? Or? No, no melatonin in there. It it, it literally is exactly it's a gummy like.
1: What uh, what's in it?
5: So, um, total carbs five grams, dietary fiber, vitamin C, sodium, potassium, tart cherry extract, um,
2: five hundred milligrams. They're usually so made mont mont yeah. mormon Sea cherries is, is, is a common one uh there's a couple different companies that produce it there's one company cherubundi that uh does combine yeah. it with melatonin for a, a sleep product specifically that uh you know anecdotally players really like uh so they also you know it's pretty sweet it's got a little bit of taste to it comes in a packet you just kind of quick shot of juice sort of thing um so I, I you know i've seen some guys have some success with that one as well
1: mm-hmm. um Anybody NPR yeah, do you want to comment
3: on that or oh I can comment all day you know okay. <laughs> uh, I, I love this topic. Um, I wrote a book on jet lag maybe 10 years ago interesting uh, and how to deal with all this um, So the, the again the the strategies it depends are we talking jet lag are we talking uh, you know simple uh, sleep strategies very different you know it's a whole different more game now the the highlight. Um, it's interesting because I, I had very positive reactions for uh, pretty much all the players that I've used to MLS and Prem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with Leeds, we went to pre in Australia. So uh, there was a good time to put all this strategy in place. Um, again, so let's talk jet lag briefly, just a minute. Uh, jet lag for me, it's all about chronobiology. You need I mean, Karam mentioned flying to Vancouver. Tricky when you fly west. Uh, actually, not as not easier when you fly west because it's easier to adapt to a longer day on the way back. It's pro. It's a problem. So, can you control the time of the flight? Uh, exposure to light. You know, uh, clock clocks need to be set up to the destination uh, time, and then exposure to light in in a plane. A lot of time in planes, they pull the blinds down, not for you to sleep, but for them to be you know to leave them alone, and for mm-hmm. you, it's it's not the right time to be in the dark. So that's the, the the easy part when it comes to the sleep strategies um, you know the basic one that he mentioned the temperature exposure to light exposure to noise uh, so um, uh, both headphones and nose cancelling headphones in the plane there's, there's, there's a lot of studies that have that have shown that the, um, the, the 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 constant buzzing in the plane of the engine is disrupting a better rhythm in your, in the brain which is a big factor on on you know like fatigue uh, after that, so yeah, you control these three, and you time you and you time your exposure to light, and you time your exposure to uh, uh, and, and your sleepy hours, and then you've done what you can do. Um, exposure to the blue light and the white light now with the screens, you know, uh, there are there are a lot of uh, like uh, either glasses or you get the, uh, what's the mode on i on I, on I, on the iPad or on the Mac, the
0: uh, there's sleep oh, the mode, sleep mode
3: the nice night shift, shift you know uh, there's, there's a lot of little things that you can do to adjust and, and obviously education you know you have to tell them listen uh, it may be 11 but for you it's 2 so you know no and what do they do when they don't sleep you know they get to the screen so it's like makes things mm-hmm. worse um, yeah I could talk about it all day but uh, in terms of pure sleeping strategy and you know sleep uh, sleeping um, uh, monitoring devices I've, I've used almost all of them over the years, but you, you come into, you run into, uh, you, you run into uh, people where you have exhausted all the strategy that you can use, you know. Routine is key. Make sure that, you know, they have the same routine, same bedtime, look warm bath and all stuff, avoid caffeine, you know. Um, but at one point, you know, you run into a cul because there's not much else you can do. I've had a player in the prem, you know, he was a big templar from Holland. Um, he said, yeah, I'm doing all this, I just can't sleep, you know. Uh, so we sent him to the hospital. We did like sleep studies and, you know, brainwave and stuff. He just couldn't sleep. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's funny. That reminds me of, um, I was talking to, uh, I think it was a Brazilian soccer team, right? Uh, one of the players just couldn't sleep before the game because he would. He just kept drinking the maté before the game. Cool. And after the game it, again, and, and that is the kind of stimulant that those guys, you just, you just couldn't, you know, uh, fall asleep. So sometimes mm-hmm. you also have those factors right um
3: for sure but that, that this you can control you know i'm talking about cases where everything that can be controlled is controlled and still you know it's it's uh it's the human body and the science that in this case you know it just couldn't get it done and there was no matter no caffeine no uh nothing
1: yeah interesting uh hey guys uh the next topic i want to talk to you about was about recovery and treatment uh, I mean, there's a lot of options, and you guys know better than I do, right? As far as uh, re- to help the athletes yeah, recover. Uh, people have been talking about you know cryotherapy, water therapy, cooling, eating therapy. So what are the best uh, uh, recovery and really treatment uh, that you guys have used, and when is the you know what is the right time to use certain treatments versus others? And maybe what are the treatments that don't work? They just don't work. So anybody wants to comment on recovery and the right treatment
3: at the right time to use? Alex, i would be interesting to hear you in, in hockey, you know, because we all football here and and I think yeah. it's really dependent on nature of the sport.
2: Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. The right treatment, right time. I think it's also dependent on the person as well for, you know, what do they respond to? Because I think there's an underlying physiological principle to most things, you know, hydrotherapy, a little bit of hydrostatic pressure, contrast, a little bit of, you know, change in in fluid dynamics, things like that. So the underlying science is usually pretty good in most of them. But if a person, I think, believes that this is really going to help me, I'm going to feel so much better, then they start to feel better, you know, call it whatever percentage placebo effect. So whatever one a player buys into, I think, is, um, you know, also has a lot of uh, benefits irrespective of which modality it is. But within hockey, there's kind of a long culture of, you know, cold tubs, ice baths. They're mandated in every building, uh, like in most sports, I think. But that's a pretty common one. Hockey is a pretty, you know, lower body dominant sport, like, like you know, like, like uh, football as well. But, um, you know, cold tubs after games, things like that is a pretty common one. And I think if you're looking at, hey, we have to play a back-to-back game, we probably have a lot of localized inflammation in the lower body after a game. We have to play in, you know, 18 hours or something like that. Maybe a cold tub fits really good if we're in training camp and we just did a, you know, a strength session and your legs are a little sore from that or from the strength session yesterday, you know, we want that adaptive response. Maybe the cold tub's not the good thing. So, you know, educating them on that front. And then I think kind of the next frontier of, I think we kind of know how much it matters, but we don't know how to control it very well is just the response of each player's nervous system to said activity. You know, if you have a player, whether you're monitoring with HRV or whether you're monitoring with counter movement, jump or grip dynamometry, things like that, some kind of measure of, you know, uh, athlete readiness, if that is, you know, depressed following a game, which it often is, you know, you expect that the next day, how do we sort of help that nervous system, you know, maybe drive a little bit more parasympathetic activity to, you know, get them back to their own sweet spot or their own, you know, optimal zone of functioning kind of thing. So whether it's biofeedback, breathing techniques, you know, hot, cold, cryotherapy, I think there's a lot of different ways you can affect that, but it's what's the best way to sort of create the modulation that you want within that person to help get them back to where they feel their best and where they perform their best following a game or following an intense activity.
4: Okay.
1: That makes sense. Thank you, Alexine.
4: Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, I've I've found on on what you were speaking on all those different options, Alexi, to really work well is breath work, and but in to go in both directions, right? You can utilize it to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. You can use it to uh, <clears throat> to activate the sympathetic and and get things going. And that I think I've seen great results on recovery days because people are still you know, athletes are still in the mindset of breaking down the game, you know, that depression or excitement, whatever it is, and that type of effect of their body and emotions doesn't necessarily lead to the direction of either re-prepping for another match that, that, or game that day, or, you know, stimulating, look, I want to recover as much as possible and using that to um, get them into a mindset of, of mindfulness, if you want to call it that, or just realigning kind of their thought patterns and, and what they're up to that day to focus and commit fully to recovery or to some movement and activation or to reframe, you know, if it's a more of a stressor on the brain of, of strategy and, and breakdown of the game. Um, but, but the breathwork component I, I've seen to be very, very interesting and, and oftentimes not practiced. And one, obviously, there's an educational side to it that you know, I didn't learn that in athletic training school or in, or in sports medicine and, and a master's degree. Um, but when I've created that type of environment or that container for the athletes, some of them, they'll breathe for five rounds and fall asleep and be out cold for 20, 30 minutes. And they'll wake up after and say, oh, my, like, it, it looks like they're reborn out of a cocoon. Like, they've never rested that heavily and that well, oftentimes you look at all the variables of the environment. You have kids at home. You have a significant other. You have teammates asking, "Oh, let's go grab a drink or let's go grab dinner." Like there's all of these other things where they're trying to staff included. We're trying to appease to everyone, but also listen to ourselves of what's best for us in our recovery and regeneration. And that that I think is is really important to personalize or customize for for the athlete. Yeah, great great feedback,
2: uh, Adam. Yeah.
4: Anybody else? That's-
2: That's just a quick response. I I think that's a great point. And I found breathwork to be really, really, uh, really beneficial as well in the team setting. I found it one of the more difficult ones to implement, you know, you know, whether you're on a bus, a plane, you know, after a game, getting to just like who's all amped up, getting him to lie down and calm down. So, you know, I, uh, if you have any strategies around implementing that with a larger group, you know, I'd be, uh, I'd be all ears for that. Cause I do think there's tremendous power there and, it's often one of the last ones thought of or deployed or done well for, you know, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, it can often come off
4: as a bit woo-woo in the general population of the people that do breath work. It's, it's generally a bit more spiritual, but I've been poking and trying to see how to make it a bit more aligned in performance medicine. So yeah, I, I, we can chat offline, of course. Yeah,
1: sweet. Great. Thank you, guys. Anybody else? Yeah, Karam.
3: Yeah, yeah yeah a few thoughts so going back to breath work you know this is why also recovery is very individual because players like you know they like to do what what they like to do and you know what necessarily is good for them so um, this is why you have to be you have to pick your battles Uh, in my experience there are things that i believe in that are non-negotiable and then there is the individual part but yes it's crucial to educate them and to expose them to different techniques the right way because no matter this is sociology you know on the book of 20 guys there's probably 5 that they're gonna say yeah help me you know and what if they think he helps them um especially because you think he does too then this has to be part of, of of what they do and i also think that within a team within a group and that's my coaching side you know like regular coaching side of my brain, they should be they should be, um, they should be a, a common a common part, you know, because it's important that uh, you know they all they all see each other and and do the same thing before going in different directions. Um, that's thought number one. Thought number two, I mentioned the blood flow. You know, out of everything that we mentioned here, we talked about blood flow before on the same blood flow topic. You know, I'm, I'm whether they're flying, whether they're recovering, I want them to wear the compression pants. Um, because again, this is not, this is not a theory, you know, this is a fact and this is the reason why, you know, when you're in planes you know, people like professional are, are wearing the pants and and you want to make sure that, you know, that that blood flow is coming back and fighting gravity uh, to help recovery. So that's one thing. Uh, the question that for you, Alex, um, was about the cryo, because I have, from my experience, you know, I, I think cryo was pretty effective when I tried it a while ago. And then now, even when I was in Toronto, we had, um, we have cryo chambers that we get from the maple leaves. Um, I think it's pretty, it's pretty efficient for for everything superficial, and you know, for the blows and you know, as opposed to uh, the cooling strategy would be, you know, uh, a little more helpful for someone who's had heavy legs, you know, different type of fatigue. So is that are you using this? Because I'm assuming you know, I'm not an expert in hockey, but I'm, I'm assuming even with the pads, you know, it's there must be some bruising going on. So, is it something that that you you've come across and 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 yeah?
2: Yeah, we uh, we do have a, a cryotherapy unit, sort of an individual, um, I guess not a chamber, but uh, tube or I'm, not, I'm trying to think of the mm-hmm. word. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, and. It's too bad, actually, we have one at our practice facility, but not our game facility because they're in separate locations. Honestly, I wish we'd, we'd have it at our game facility instead yeah. of our practice facility. Sure. Um, but the number one thing we've used it for actually is, you know, we, for a while we were tracking morning HRV measurements. And if a player was yeah. a little bit lower than norm, a little bit more sympathetic than their average, well, we've, the, our working theory was that, you know, the abrupt the exposure would increase sympathetic activity. increased sympathetic activity. And then we get a corresponding bump in parasympathetic activity following, you know, half hour, hour, two hours later. And anecdotally, the reports from players are like, I melted into my couch later in the afternoon. Like I absolutely KO'd as soon as I got home. So it's, it, it, it appears to work again, you know, I'd love to do a a pre post, you know, HRV measurement or something like that. A lot of confounding factors. So kind of tough to do, but we've almost used it to modulate the nervous system a little more instead of sort of local inflammation or, or bruises sure. or things like that. And we probably have six to eight guys that use it pretty regularly out of 23. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so again, player, players that buy into it, absolutely love it. They do it after every practice day. The only downside to it is we only have one at the practice facility and then obviously we don't yeah. have any on the road. So if you trying to build continuity or a routine tougher to do, but I think if we, if it is going to affect the nervous system that way post game, when their sympathetics are through the roof and they've been, you know, wired for three hours, that's probably our best opportunity. So I'd love to see, I'd love to try it post game a little yeah. bit more and see what kind of results we get. Cause I'm optimistic it would be helpful, but we haven't actually had the opportunity to use it yet.
3: Yeah. We, I mean, again, I agree with everything you said and, you know, you have six, eight doing it and, I do believe that it, whether it's cryo or something else, I, I do believe that it will be helpful for another third of your team. But you know, they don't want to expose themselves to cold. You know, it doesn't feel great. It's put this way, you know. So you get the positives, but all they see is I'm going to have to spend a minute or two in this cold. I'll just, I'll do it. Yeah. Next, you know? <laughs> so going back to on this topic, you know, lately I don't know if you guys have used uh, thermography. I've, I've I've looked into it deep. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've finally used it. Um, Which one from like Thermohuman
1: human or another one?
3: Yeah, thermo human. Yeah, um, and the reason why I mentioned it is because the the, the way we've been using it is to actually uh, give us a profile of, of you know what type of, of fatigue you know this guy is suffering mm-hmm. from, and also what type of recovery he should use. So there's a study from last year from um, from Robin Thorpe I think was talking about it. So between the structural, uh, you know, damage fatigue and then the metabolic fatigue, and I've had players mm-hmm. lately and. So when you couple this, you get the RPE and you get the feedback, you know, and you get, you know, are you generally fatigue? Is it nervous? You know, do you have heavy legs, et cetera? And then coupled with the, uh, the infrared camera, I've seen that, and I've, from my experience, from my recent experience, I've seen that the guys that are like general fatigue, like nervous fatigue, like really uh, meta- like metabolic fatigue, are in general, especially if the camera shows some some elevated like you know body temperature are, are benefiting from the warmth therapy okay so you put them yeah you put them in a sauna you put them in a, in a jacuzzi and and from what they tell me they said it's know, hurting them it's hurting them it's it's hurting them or it's helping them recovery oh
1: it's helping them okay
3: yeah it's helping them recovery so and i was one particular player you know american player uh that's it yeah i'm dead that mentally, I'm, I'm exhausted, you know, so um, somebody has been doing cold bath forever, contrast, whatever. I said, Okay, let's mm-hmm. give it a shot based on this, go and just do a jacuzzi and then relax. And, and obviously, there was a sleeping problem here. Let's, let's look at the, you know, at the immersed part of the iceberg first. Uh, so we had to deal with it, but it helped with his sleep. And, uh, and, and he ended up being a, a beneficial strategy. But I I I, I recommend I encourage you guys to to look into it because yeah it opens a few more uh, avenues when it when it comes to recovery and these are objective factors okay they don't have it's time efficient you know they don't have to uh, be in a call all they have to do is stand for like five seconds and they see uh, they can see the picture and and then you can then you know give them some strategies and and I I think. Because they are nowadays athletes. If they can see stuff, uh, if they have a screen in front of them, if you can see a picture, then it helps with uh, compliance.
2: How is that? And- uh, I, I was I, I I've seen Thermal Human before, and I think you just you, you take a picture, right, and then kind of upload it to their software, and they yeah. you know, spit out the report, kind of thing.
0: Yeah. How does that you integrate break.
2: your your sort of daily flow? Like, is it you know everybody kind of assembly line works their way through? You do you know. Over the course of three hours, slowly step in front of it. No, like how-
3: it's 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 way more. It's it's much quicker than that. You know, I mean, they get. I mean, I don't know in hockey if they get to the morning to get the body weight down. So by yeah. the time they by the time they get the body weight down, they hop on the scale, up and off, and then they get the they get the scan done. You know, yeah, uh, we we'll do it after uh, we'll do it post games. It wasn't a daily thing. You know, it was because it was for recovery. Uh, it was a day after games on recovery days. Uh, the key is the baseline. Okay, so you want to make sure you get a baseline of a, 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 a few days, uh, just to be accurate from the get go. Um, but in the case of that guy who was really like, um, I would say nervously and mentally fatigued, uh, it was just one more piece of the equation. And for me, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience because he, he benefited from skipping the cold um, and, and going to the warm. And that was with Toronto, Toronto Football Club or that no, you were using? No, was in England.
1: Oh, England okay. Yeah. Um, and Alex, if you want to talk to the Thermo Human CEO, Ismail, I know him fairly well. So just FYI, um, yeah, cool. and he'll be at the conference in New York. He'll be, uh, he'll be coming and speak there. So you'll, you have a chance to meet him anyway. Nice. And then the,
3: and I told you the study, uh, I think you can look it up. I think it's Robin Thorpe. It was last year uh, and he talked, yeah, he put two and two together.
1: Okay, great. Uh, Karam, do you have any feedback on recovery, strategies, treatments? Yeah, um, just
5: uh, there are a whole bunch of wheels, you know, wheels, whistles, uh, you name it, it's it's all there, you know, but to, to me, there are two really important things that we, I feel like we're losing touch with, but that we need to implement more is actually having a conversation with the player, you know, and just, okay, how are you feeling today? Yes, we do all the questionnaires, and but I've also found that uh, most times they just they're on their phone, and then they, 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 like it's just an automatism, as we say in French.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, so having a conversation, figuring out how how they feel, if they are feeling anything that's out of the ordinary, where, uh, etc. You know, that's one. Two hands hands on so actually using our hands as tools to see if there is anything that's off if there's a a muscle that's a, a little bit hypertonic as opposed to the other one do we see any uh, balance you know imbalances in like i don't know standing forward for the flexion or uh, rotation to one side versus the other after the after the game which you know can correlate with some muscle tightness on one side versus the other etc cetera, etc cetera. just these they're simple tools that we have in our arsenals as athletic therapists athletic trainers or even physical therapists that could serve us or could take us a long way in you know and and complement that stuff with the cryotherapy with the you know uh theraguns with the recovery boots etc etc so that's really my take on on that
1: on recovery that makes sense and by the way i just thought about something this week i was talking to the technology company that uh provided the novak Djokovic the patch uh, at the French Open, uh, it's a nanotechnology. they're using uh, light therapy and acupuncture at the same time. And what the guy was telling me, I'm talking to him again next week, but is that it helps to um to kind of with the balance on your body. I'm talking about balance, right? And then mm-hmm. it also helped with reduce the stress and uh, maybe give you more energy. but it's interesting. I thought it was interesting. Um so anyway, uh, I'll be coming on the podcast. I, I, you know you'll have a chance to hear about more about the technology, but that's a that could be another strategy, I guess. Yeah. Um,
3: one, one last thing Julien, is that obviously yeah. we talk about, you know, we, we started by talking about sleep and then we went to nano strategies and, and yeah. And going back, depending on public, the one thing even at our level that we uh, we sometimes overlook is, is the sleep. OK, it's just how you much do you sleep, sleep and how, and, and how long yeah. do you sleep, period. Forget about everything else. I mean, everything is correlated. Um, but the reason why it's so tricky, and this is, is, I think that you need to have a few different groups of recovery. They have to come at different times, um, you know, because some sleep better than others after games. some don't. Example of the guy I had 10 years ago, barely could have, I mean, if, I mean, the strategy for him would be to train in the afternoon. You know, it would have been fine, you know, but you just can't, you, you can't do it because it's, it's, you have a group and you have, you have to do what's best for the group. Yeah, um, but ideally that's what you should be able to do at least on recovery days. Assuming they do the right thing. Okay. The problem is, Karam mentioned it a few times, is that if you open the door, then some guys would come back at come back home at seven because they're recovering in the afternoon. It's kind of productive. But what if you had a good group that patch? was what it sure. go ahead, go ahead, Alex.
2: I was just gonna ask you what the name of that patch was, so keep going, Pierre. Sorry.
3: Yeah, it's called
2: um uh, I'm breaking now.
3: Uh
2: the towel patch.
1: That old patch. So the the company, the CEO is based in Berlin, Germany, uh, but they uh, they work with lots of Olympic athletes. Obviously, work with Djokovic. Um, I'll, I'll I'll send you some information, and I can introduce you if you want to, or anybody. Yeah, be so,
3: interesting. It'd be interesting.
1: Yeah. But, but uh, again, if,
3: if if all our guys could have the the Joker mentality, you know. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Djokovic is
1: looking at, you know, he needs like eight, nine, I mean, I guess eight hours of sleep. He's watching what he what he drinks, what he eats, Uh, he's using this type of technology. I mean, it's crazy. Right. But that's that's the reason why at 36 he's able to win the French Open again.
3: That's one of the reasons. Round the reason. Right. That's my last word of the day. I'm talking too much. It's called to play. Okay. Uh,
1: Uh, Hey, uh, guys, two two more topics to discuss. one is uh, Saudi Arabia, right? So there's been a big push from Saudi Arabia into sports. Uh, I'm mean, i I'm sure you guys have seen that the, the Saudi Arabia, the Leaf Golf League, right, uh, recently merged with the PGA, which is kind of ironic, right, because they were fighting against each other. And I think because the PGA realized that they already spent $50 million in legal fees against the Saudis. So they, I think they almost like, gave up on this. Um, and then uh, lots of uh, soccer players, starting with Ronaldo, and also now, recently, Benzema uh, recently signed in the uh, Saudi Arabia soccer league, and there's also been reports saying that they are looking to buy the Formula One for 20 billion dollars. Right, so um, and it, apparently they have an envelope of about one billion to buy top soccer player to join their soccer league right now. So, what is your take on Saudi Arabia push into sports? Anybody? i
5: think uh, for me it's it's uh, a way for them to you know uh, market themselves uh once upon a time it was uh, dubai then it became uh, qatar and now Mm -hmm. uh, saudi arabia has proclaimed themselves as that power in the middle east that's going to attract all all of the world and for them to become the hub the new hub um you know, superseding Dubai and, uh, Qatar. Uh, and one of the ways to, to do that is to attract, you know, top talent. And in, in this case, like you said, uh, golf, uh, top, 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 uh, football players. And, uh, also, I mean, I, I even heard that Lukaku was, uh, on the, uh, on the, shop. yeah, they were looking at, yeah. at shop, shopping around for him. Um, and um yeah uh, like you said the formula 1 as a uh, you know another piece for them to to you know showcase their you know buying power so to speak you know so that's that's really my take on it they really want to become the center are
1: are you politically correct
5: are you you know uh, trying trying as much as i can to to, to to keep that out of the, the equation there but you know uh
3: yeah <laughs> Let's un- this is soft power through sport, you know this is about image and then you know unlimited money it's not being politically correct it's just exactly what it is you know whether you think whether you agree with it or not it's a different story but that's what they do um how efficient is it going to be in the long term i'm not so sure but you know because if you if you start something like this you have to uh you have to, you know, make sure it lasts somehow in time, um, mm-hmm. but that's what it is. That's what it is. So let's see if it, let's see if there's any positive effect on human rights on site through this. it positive. Um, you know, my wife was telling me if we ever go to Saudi Arabia, I, I cannot even go to games. I don't think I, c- I can try. <laughs> and I was like, well, I think you can try now. Go to games, a good point. But I'm thinking Ronaldo's wife is going to games. Um, but it's unlimited budget, you know, this is not any different than, than, you know, these states uh, investing in football. Um, you know, yeah. we had Man City winning, just won the, um, the Champions League, it's the first time, you know, a club like this is doing the Champions League. And
1: Newcastle too, right? Newcastle is also
3: Newcastle Of course, Newcastle, if they eventually do, but um, again, soft power through sports. It's been done before, like I mentioned, uh, they do it. The reason why you know we're talking about it is because the amounts are more and more extraordinary you know every time it happens but it's the same principle
1: but well, well the um because you know we kind of saw what happened in china right yeah they had high hopes with the chinese soccer league and in the end you throw a lot of money at players but in the end it never really took off,
3: right it did take off but you know not to the extent that you know it's not you're not going to become a, a you don't become a major league you know overnight. but you know what's happening in China is Xi Jinping is is pushing football. that that's that's more. I know because I've been there for FIFA twice and um, they have coaches everywhere, they, they're really pushing football in, in, in schools more than that's what they want to do rather than, you know, they did sign a few guys back then, but it's not to the extent of Saudi Arabia doing. What Saudi Arabia does, which is also unique, is the government is players and then dispatch, you know, the players through the, uh, through the clubs. It would be like, you know, it would be like, you know, the government in the U S buying players and then deciding which MLS franchise they're going to play for. So that's unique.
1: Interesting. Right.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: anybody else, Adam, or maybe Alexei, you have any thoughts on that?
2: I'm the thought that I keep coming back to obviously the, the human rights stuff is, you know, like Pierre said, hopefully that advances, you know, that in the, in, in the years to come, but you know, I I think you can't be naive enough to think that money doesn't make the world go round. You know, that's what, that's what makes everything go. But at the same time, there's probably a pretty good track record of people who do things solely for money. Ultimately things don't go well. So, you know, and if you're not motivated by, the love of the sport or growing the game or, you know, delivering a good quality product to your fans, you know, things like that is the game ultimately going to go in the right direction or the wrong direction. Everyone seems to think the live golf PJ merger is going to be good for the game of golf. And I understand marketing rights and, you know, things like that, but if you know, the golf, there's a lot of people who just love to play golf so much and they're, they're not going to miss a minute of the U S open this weekend because there's nothing better than just watching that. And, you know, is mm-hmm. the game catered towards those people or just you know sponsorship in the the people who get the best seats at the events and stuff like that so hopefully it, it helps the sport but you know i think like most people if you do things solely for the basis of money or you know you usually don't get the best results kind of thing
3: yeah yeah um, and, and you know one thing that struck me i mean alexi i forgot we we're talking about golf already because I was or so focused on football football. but but that's the big that's a big difference right there is that from what i understand the that i knew they had the pga tour that was functioning you know with all these players and next thing you know there's a new tour you know coming so it's a much different story completely different story than benzema or you know kante going to play in saudi arabia uh which we know it's a completely different level and and this one is this one is I don't. I don't have an opinion because I don't know enough. But it's, it's yeah, it's a completely different context.
2: You guys, you guys would know better than me. But the the reason the you know Super League or whatever it was, you know, ultimately never came yeah. to came to fruition. I feel like it was for similar kind of reasons. Like you know, you're yeah, you're a couple of your biggest teams and your wealthiest owners might benefit. But is the game of football worldwide really going to benefit from this, or is it strictly a you know monetary monetary endeavor to form this new league kind of thing? And this is from someone uh, who understands very little about football, so I, I definitely defer to you guys on this one.
3: I'm going to go on the record saying that within 10 years, they, they would be the Super League. So I don't think there's any other alternative. Um, and he's not going to kill – won't, he won't kill the domestic leagues. You know, it's just that the, the, I think it's already happening. You know, they're just working on details. The thing is, again, it'd be no different than having the NHL, you know, with uh, different – with with different you know count, countries playing in the NHL and then these teams will play you know on the weekend in the in the domestic league so the super league is happening no question no question the only thing that, the the only thing they not they're not exactly uh, agreeing on right now and that's why it hasn't happened sooner is it cannot be a closed league you know that that doesn't go with mentality in Europe the only detail they're working on is how can we leave the door a little open for a team that does really well one year in the domestic league to get to get in the super league the next year so there's this 10 percent of promotion relegation however you want to call it that they haven't agreed upon Uh, but for the rest they're on the same page you know and and i don't don't think it's bad for the sport
1: so are you saying so what would happen to the Champions League then you would have the super
3: league and the champions league that's the big question you know that's why that's why that's why that's why the clubs the clubs are okay it's not a problem with the club it's not a problem with the federation it's a problem with uefa
5: yeah right that's it. hey guys by the way if you want some if you want more information about what they are talking about apple tv super league the war for football it's a four episode uh, a documentary and it basically talks about how how this whole super league Came mm-hmm. to like what happened and everything, and a big fight. Like it was a very, very big thing that happened in Europe, and they show you the power of people and together, fans coming together and saying, "No, no, the Super League is not going to happen. You guys should watch it." I'm not going to say anything else about it, though. You, Pierre, you heard about it, right?
3: No, no, because I love Apple TV, but uh, but again, if it wasn't for buying the PSG, I think it would, it would have already happened. And yes, the fans are against it. But the fans would be in favor of it they'd rather watch they'd rather watch like Tottenham against in england it's a little different but still they want to watch like a big game every every uh you know every midweek and then go back to the domestic on the weekend you know they they get around it the president there's a consensus across the president that's for sure
1: well you know speaking of apple right it's a good segue to the last topic i wanted to mention was uh messi so actually messi right uh, recently uh, signed with the uh, Inter-Miami is coming to the MLS. Uh, apparently they're talking about him getting paid $50 million a year. But as part of that, he uh, would get uh, a share of Apple uh, the Apple TV deal, right? With the MLS, uh, which is one of the, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why he decided to go. Um, so what is your take on this whole Messi coming to the MLS, the U.S.? Uh, is at the end of Messi, you know, as uh, one of the best players in the world,
4: Um, So what is your take on on the whole Macy trade? I think this is a... I don't know if generational is the correct term, but whatever Michael Jordan signing to Nike and having Jordans was for basketball, I think this is something that could be very similar um, for like a generational shift in in the world of football um, in the States and also in the world. Um, you know, obviously there's the, there's a dollar sign of it where, you know, you have a player like Ronaldo that goes to Saudi for literal dollar signs. Then you have things like this where it's, you know, I don't know if if Leo's coming to the States simply for the dollar sign. I think this is more of a, um, you know, putting yourself in, in the names of the greats to really change the world you know mm-hmm. the the world of the game but also the world of the literal world of the impact in football the impact on culture on people in experiencing the game experiencing the ways of their life um i think it's much greater than simply gaining you know a percentage on every on every apple tv stream or a percentage yeah. on every mls adidas apparel sale
2: yeah. um
4: which, which i don't i don't know if we you know, we can obviously have opinions on what the impact is presently but i think it's going to be a really interesting five ten years of football to see what obviously I messi is not gonna i I'm, unless he sleeps well and has the right nutritional plan i don't know if in 10 <laughs> years he's going to be still the playing. way he plays he
3: can play ten years, no question
4: honestly and that's an interesting thing pierre out, outside of this topic is that the way he plays the game is so well developed in his brain you know, it's not something that's slowing down because he can't hit his top speed anymore. So it's going to be really interesting to see how how he uh, integrates in, into the league because of that.
3: I think, yeah. listen, I'd like to I share Adam's enthusiasm to some extent. I don't think the league is not at the point where they need Messi, okay? Mm-hmm. I compare it with the previous one, which, is, which was, I'm not talking about Ibra, I'm talking about Beckham. Beckham was, for me, the The pivotal moment in MLS you know Uh, and we're talking about the same amount of money back then okay with the endorsement Mm -hmm. and so forth but then he brought the exposure he brought everything else I don't know if Karam was around but he can tell us what he thinks again the league the MLS would have been doing well without Messi they would be doing better with him Uh, he brings some exposure I think the kids you know the kids play football already Um, I think his decision was money driven, yes, because everything was in place for him to go there, the holding, etc. Uh, but it's more it's as well, it's about lifestyle. I mean, you, I'm not an expert about uh, Riyadh, but between Riyadh and Miami, I'm pretty sure the life can be a little sweeter in Miami. Um, yeah, I That's think it's accent. a win win situation. Cool. You know, less taxes, clearly. <laughs> uh but it's a win-win situation, and uh, and, it, and it's and it's great news for the league, you know. Um, and let's see what Miami can do now, because you know one player doesn't build a team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but yeah, I compare it with the Beckham the, the Beckham moment, and I think Beckham was way more crucial uh, at the time than 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 Messi now.
1: And, and by the way, the one thing that was interesting, I think, that trade is that there are a bunch of MLS teams, right, chipped in. Apparently, to pay for Messi's salary, even though he's going to play for Inter Miami, right? And I don't know that it ever happened before in the MLS. But uh, I thought it was interesting that they would do that because they see the economic impact. Because you know the the the, the price tickets, right? Wherever Inter Miami is going to go, already went up significantly. Um, so did they chip in the for a impact.
3: salary, or they're for it's just like it's just a single entity structure when they share the when they share the, the revenue.
5: I, I can assure you that that is not true.
3: That's uh, that, not true.
5: No, I because when it happened, when the news broke, I was sitting uh, at lunch and the president of our club was in front of me. And I said, hey, apparently what you just said. And he is like, that is 100% false. I can assure you, Karam, because... But it's wrong information. Wrong information. You, you yeah. yeah. He said, you, you, you actually think that the owner of our club is going to say... Yeah, sure. I'll go pay for uh, Messi's salary, but yeah, I, I, yeah. it was hard to believe, right? Yeah, no, no it's uh, yeah. He's like, okay. no, and he goes, especially our owner.
3: I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. yes. it's just a You they share revenue, so he's, again, it's win-win at the end. So right, uh,
5: but like you said, uh, Julien, uh, the the average price of a ticket went up from thirty-eight dollars a ticket in, in uh, for an Inter Miami game up to. Yep. Four hundred and sixty dollars a ticket. Uh, Ever since he's he's signed, I've had countless people that I know of that that I know that happen to have my phone number that text me that I haven't spoken to in ages and go, hey, we know Miami played you guys twice, but next year you think you can? They're already trying to talk to me about me giving them my tickets for the Inter Miami game next year. You know, so that just goes to to say. Or to show how much of an impact this person has, and to, to Adam and, and to Pierre's point, uh, this is a generational thing. And just like you said, when when Beckham came into the league, it there was like this paradigm shift, you know, and and like this, the MLS became like something to talk about. And I feel like we're down the road now where this is another shift that's happening. Not like like Pierre said, not as Um, impactful but still very impactful with the arrival of one of the best players if not the best player to have ever played the game in our generation so to speak um playing uh, on fields in north america so
3: you know it's going to be a it's going to be hard for miami because you know i was i was i was around when there was the Beckham tour when the galaxy was around and play in the meadowlands 75 people and obviously they're playing team that that want to show to their home fans you know oh, yeah. and that that they belong and then with the salary cap structure it's hard to build a team in the mls
1: right. i was around with yeah. the galaxy
3: doing the Ibra too as well so you can tell
1: it. oh i think they are talking about getting uh di maria and buscas and then uh, alba i think for at inter miami but with the salary cap like you said i don't know how you're going to do that but just uh, mm-hmm. speculations
3: i guess Still four right. four players doesn't you know, missing uh, right, missing yeah, he signed
1: players. up,
5: yeah, but funny yeah. enough, we we're just talking about Saudi Arabia, but he refused the one point six billion dollar mm-hmm. salary over three years, Messi to go to Miami mm-hmm. so you know, yeah, money can buy you top talent, but you know
1: but what, I, what he I've heard done. is that his uh his father Messi's father wanted him to go and take the money. Saudi Arabia. His wife said, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to Saudi Arabia. So, you know, let's go to Miami. Or that's, that's what happened. So, you know, we look guys, we,
3: the yeah, word dictates peer pressure, the, the word, power of peer pressure. It did mention to no, you, you gotta be happy to perform. That's the bottom line. You know, you gotta be happy. He said he wasn't happy in Paris. You know, he's only living in Barcelona. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be happier probably in Miami. Uh, but you got to perform. You know, you gotta perform Beckham was 30 years old when he came, you know, uh, people forget that uh, he's 36, seven, whatever, he plays very differently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, crucially, I mean, you know, a guy like him wouldn't have played, uh, for Newcastle or Manchester, you know, it's tough you know? talking mm-hmm. about, uh, thermography <laughs> and, uh, yeah. no matter who you are, no matter how wealthy you are, you know, if, if you weather dependent and if your family is not happy,
1: chances are you're not going to succeed. Yeah, good point. Uh, Hey, guys, we're at the end of the podcast. It's been an hour, so I wanted to uh, thank you guys for your time. Great insight, great conversation as always. So uh, thank you all today.
0: Thanks for having us. Yeah, great conversation, Jens. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.